disruption we have seen time and time and time again, you know, can equal opportunity. I can definitely speak to that. I think my uh, two-year-old closed about as much business as I did during the crisis. <laughs> I've learned working from home now with doing it on the phone that I can do it in 20 or 30 minutes. It doesn't take a whole hour. And so the efficiency that that's going to bring to my practice, I think, is huge. Well, we have advisors doing 12 meetings in a day or 10 in a day. They never could have had the capacity to do that before. We were able to institute these Zoom seminars very quickly and uh, they've, they've been tremendous. Attendance is up 40 to 50%. The beginning of most of my meetings started more about just, you know, how are you doing and what's going on as opposed to, look, hey, I saw my statement and I'm really freaking out here, like we need to talk about it. When we're using things like financial planning and really um, taking the time to define their objectives, they know the portfolio is going to be okay. They understand the investments they're in, why they're in them. They just want to know that the person that they've trusted is also going to be okay. I'm sure we'll use this process going forward. Um, we found that it's um, as effective and probably more efficient in terms of time than scheduling in-person meetings. I was not a first adapter. Um, I didn't know if I had the skill. So um, um, A, I realized that I do have the skill and I can implement those types of things and I can walk my clients through it. B, that it does it's so much more efficient. I am making relationships with my clients through this that will last a lifetime. You ask them for their statements and it takes them two weeks to get it in the pre-COVID world. They're just like, well, hold on one second. Let me get out my book of passwords. And I'll go upload all that in five minutes. Hello and welcome to the Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series for the Financial Institutions Wealth Management Channel. I am Bob Mattel, the co-producer of these podcasts. Our focus in this series is on industry-leading performance, success stories, and key business intelligence that will help you meet your leadership objectives and help our channel achieve its full potential. In today's episode, titled Lessons Learned from Working Remotely During the COVID Crisis, we will be talking with executives and advisors from the Bank and Credit Union channel about the aha moments they've experienced while working remotely through the COVID crisis that will forever change for the better, the way they'll work going forward. We will hear them discuss the efficiencies that were always available but not realized until now, the technologies they thought were arduous to learn that they are now embracing on a daily basis, relationship development opportunities that never existed before. We'll also hear about an advisor who two years ago decided to move from the United States to New Zealand but has been able to keep his job, successfully serve his U.S. clients from the other side of the world and now serves as a model for how to work effectively on a remote basis with clients during the COVID epidemic. In addition, we'll touch on how financial planning and advisor relationship have made a significant difference as advisors guide their clients through COVID-related market volatility. Our host today is Scott Stathis of Stathis Partners and CUSO Financial Sorrento Pacific will be our co-host and sponsor. Scott and I would like to express our sincere appreciation to our friends at CUSO Financial Sorrento Pacific for their support in making today's episode possible. And now I'll turn it over to our host, Scott Stathis. Okay, welcome everybody to today's episode of the Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series. This episode is titled Lessons Learned from Working Remotely During the COVID Crisis. Our co-hosts today are Kevin Mumau and Jim Campone from QSO Financial Services, the broker-dealer. Uh, and our discussion guests include executives and advisors from two credit unions and one bank. And I'll let each of them introduce themselves momentarily. 
So the intention of today's discussion is to not necessarily focus on how we are working through the COVID crisis, which we are in the middle of as we record this, uh, but more specifically to explore the silver lining in the crisis, the efficiency-related experiences we are gaining that may reshape the way we work in the future. Uh, so with that, let's have each participant introduce themselves, starting with our co-hosts, Kevin and Jim. Kevin? Hello, everyone. Uh, Kevin Mumaw here. As uh, Scott mentioned, I'm with CUSO Financial Services and Serrano Pacific. And my role at the firm is to head up our growth initiatives, support initiatives of our programs and advisors through our program development team and our advisor practice management. All right, Jim. Good afternoon, everyone. Jim Campone, also CUSO Financial, Sorrento Pacific. I work with the uh, distinguished Kevin Muma in the program development area as executive director. Thank you. All right. Welcome, you guys. And then uh, let's go to our guests, Cynthia. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Cynthia Pollard, and I'm with Gateway Services Group as the um, executive vice president for the investment division. Zelco Credit Union is, is one of my larger programs. Um, that we'll be sharing some detailed information about today. Thank you. Stephanie? Hi, everybody. This is Stephanie Goodka. I'm with Belco Credit Union, and I'm a financial advisor. All right. Love the fact that we have advisors in today's discussion. Uh, looking forward to it. John? Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is John Marks, and I am the program manager uh, for the Wealth Management Group at Elevations Credit Union in Boulder, Colorado. All right, and Scott number two. I, I didn't introduce myself. I'm Scott Stathis, so I'll I'll take Scott number one if you don't mind, Scott. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Scott number two, Scott Herman. I'm a financial advisor. I work with CUSO Financial Services at Elevations Credit Union. I'm a certified financial planner. All right, welcome, Scott. Shelley. Yes, hello. I'm Shelley Emmerich. I'm a sales assistant at CUSO Financial Services at Elevations Credit Union, and I support two of our top producing advisors. Excellent. And uh, Jim Fujinaga, if you don't mind being Jim number two, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> hello, everybody. Jim Fujinaga with uh, Hancock Whitney Investment Services. I'm the president and CEO. Welcome. And Ross. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Ross Cantor, Senior Financial Advisor for Hancock Whitney Investment Services. All right. It's great to have all of you here. And um, let's dive into the discussion. So the first question I have for, for all of you, and it's a, it's a big picture question, is what efficiencies have you experienced working remotely that you feel you'll continue to leverage once things get back to normal? And I think, Cynthia, you wanted to kick us off? I will. Um, well, you know, I think that we were all thrusted into this, this environment, first of March, mid-March. Mid and at, at Belco and a couple of, our, couple of our other programs, we really had some great success pre-COVID. We had great success with doing in-person seminars. So much so that, you know, each year I would say, let's try to double it, let's try to triple it because we just had such good success. And um, of course, that all just went away immediately. So I would say, Two weeks into this, we were able to quickly get um, a couple of webinars that we did back to back within a few days of each other and had um, a huge number of clients that were able to join in. It was really focused on economic update and what's going on with the pandemic and how that would potentially be impacted or how it did impact their, 
um, their, their investment, um, their long-term investments. And so, you know, before we would have, I would say 30 max in the branches based on the capacity of the branch location. And um, in our first webinar that we did, we had a couple of hundred people wow. that were able to, yeah, <laughs> that were able to join. And, and um, you know, actually for the first couple ones, I coordinated that as a program manager, but we got the reps to get their clients on these calls and, and the advisors were hearing from their clients that they really appreciated, again, you know, just the information. Everybody was clamoring for, for information. So they really appreciated that. We've done four in this short period. And um, we have another one that's coming up that is scheduled for actually a SEG group. And we're going to be able to facilitate three webinars in one day. One starting at 7 a.m., one starting at noon, another one at 3. And again, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we were doing that in person. So it's cut down on cost. Down. It's really made it a lot more efficient. And so that is absolutely something that we're going to be taking forward as we continue to you know, move through conducting these types of informative um, sessions for our clients and for, and for prospects too. It's, it's interesting. So, so that's a lesson learned that virtual seminars can be more, uh, at times, I guess, more successful perhaps than, than mm -hmm. live seminars. Had, when you uh, did live seminars, I assume you tracked the, the success of the live seminar based on certain metrics? Are you doing the same thing with virtual seminars? You know, on, on, as a program manager on a broad perspective, um, I did track it as far as like invested dollars year over year. And so that's why we, I would come back and encourage the, the reps to do more of them because they were working. As we, as we rolled out the, the, the seminars, in-person seminars, they were working. Our invested dollars were going up. Members, clients were responding to it. Um, it was just really well received. And so, you know, we would go, we, we probably started with doing maybe three or four a year for my whole team. We have about 11 advisors to the point where we got to about, you know, 15 to 20 um, per year um, for, the, for the whole group. So, uh, again, yes, our, our GDC and invested dollars increased year over year as we were doing those. You know, we're still in the midst of this right now. So we haven't been tracking the success and what that's converting to as far as invested dollars and opportunities. But I will tell you that our productivity in 2020 year to date compared to 2019 is it's up you know we're up year to date 2020 compared to 2019 and 2019 was a was really a breakout year for us as well no oh, that's great congratulations it'll be interesting to track going forward to see for example or compare how many new clients you're getting from the virtual seminars versus new clients from each of the of the live seminars so uh yeah, that's that, that keep, keep up the good work. John, you had some thoughts uh, in this regard, too, if I recall, right? Yeah, I'll um, just kind of echo a lot of what Cynthia just said. And, you know, we had a very robust face-to-face -face seminar program prior to all of this occurring. And we, we probably did, well, we do about a dozen a quarter face-to-face uh, -face seminars. And always had tremendous results. It was, it was typically tracking about 10% uh, of our total revenue generated that we could tie back to uh, these seminars and workshops that we would hold. So very robust program, decent attendance always, depending on the topic. And we always talked about doing some virtual seminars. We never really got any traction with, the, with you know, even the, the structure of doing it because the face-to-face -face ones were working so well. So 
we just never ran with it. Now, you know, all of a sudden overnight, we were forced uh, to move to that. Uh, luckily, Elevations had moved to using Zoom for lots of things almost right before this happened. So we were able to institute these Zoom seminars very quickly and convert all of the ones that we had scheduled for face-to-face -face over to Zoom. And uh, they've, they've been tremendous. We've done about a dozen of those in the last 60 days or so that we've been shut down. Attendance is up 40 to 50% for all of them. We've been able to uh, add quite a few more to the calendar. Tracking the productivity of those is, is still, you know, the jury's still out, but I expect that uh, we will see uh, significant results as well. You know, one of the reasons that this is going to be so beneficial for us going forward, even after at some point when we're face to face again, is we're university based and we've got a tremendous amount of members across the country and even the world that joined when they were at the University of Colorado and maintained their membership as they've moved back away. And, and so we were unable to reach those folks other than some email campaigns we do. They were never able to attend our seminars. Uh, they are now, we're hearing from them that they're very appreciative of that. Um, it's, it's working tremendously. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's going to be a huge benefit for us that will continue long after we're able uh, to go face to face again. So it's been tremendous and, and I fully expect that productivity will be uh, quite a bit higher uh, as well because of this. So. so, John, do you believe the increased attendance is just due to remote members or are there other reasons why the virtual seminars are better attended? You know, I think I think every you know it's it's certainly remote members is a big part of that, but there are members that just didn't want to come out uh, that are local as well. You know, we've got a few spots across our footprint that are very very uh, seminar friendly, where we can hold forty or fifty, even a couple of hundred people in some of our community rooms. And sometimes folks are not uh, real excited to drive across the city or you know, from 20 miles away to come to those seminars. So they just never came. And so this has opened up a whole new audience of folks that were hesitant to travel for whatever reason. I think that's part of it as well. And, you know, these seminars are, they've not been geared to our current clients. We've done other things for those folks. These are, these are simply uh, targeted by our marketing group. And they're, you know, obviously we've got some clients that attend, but uh, the vast majority of these folks that's evidenced by the, the questionnaires and surveys that we do uh, are not clients currently. So it helps our awareness as well, helps our penetration. And uh, so it's, it's a fantastic program all around and, and will continue. Well, that's great. Congratulations. And Scott, I think you had a, a few uh, thoughts on this as well. And then Cynthia, I'll get back to you. Sure. Um, thank you. I'd like to echo what Cynthia and John are saying, but more from an advisor's perspective. Um, Zoom has been very helpful for us, um, particularly for client review meetings. Um, and as John mentioned at the start of COVID, the credit union set us up with a secure, a secure version of Zoom that we can use for virtual meetings. Um, we just need to learn how to use it and adopt it in a professional manner. Um, lessons that I learned that were helpful is getting the settings um, correct so that when Shelly would send out an email invitation to the clients, when they click on that link, um, they're placed first into a waiting room so they don't join the meeting too early. This is a security feature. And then also when they do join the meeting, when I admit them, that they're admitted both with their 
um, microphone and their video on so we don't have to go through the whole, hey, can you hear me, can you see me, click that little box in the bottom of the screen. Um, we can avoid that. Um, secondly, I wanted to make sure that um, I look professional when I'm presenting as I would in person. So it was a matter of getting the camera angle correct and making sure the background looks professional. Um, I got a light to put on my desk so you can see my face and I don't look silhouetted against the camera. It's, um, I think, more friendly. Um, and then in terms of running the meeting, um, you know, starting out with a face-to-face -face conversation, um, it's not as good as in-person, but it's the next best thing. And clients um, really appreciate that when we say, hey, how are you? Um, how are things going? You know, are we well? Are you working? You know, how's your family? And then we can transition and I can share my screen and we can go through the financial planning process with our Money Guide Pro software and then transition, if appropriate, to the next where we analyze the investments and look at results and how those tie to the plan and their goals. And then go back to a face-to-face -face meeting and say, hey, are there any follow-up questions? And just know that we're here for you throughout this process. We're happy to help. Please feel welcome to reach out to us. Um, so this process has worked very well, um, particularly for client review meetings and particularly for client review meetings where we don't need to sign paperwork. So I'm sure we'll use this process going forward. Um, we found that it's um, as effective and probably more efficient in terms of time than scheduling in-person meetings. And it works, um, as John mentioned, also with clients that are out of state or out of country. Yeah, so Scott, one of the things I've heard um, just in talking to people in the, in the industry that are doing these virtual meetings, um, especially with new clients, is that there are extreme efficiencies gained from a time standpoint because if you're, if you're in a live meeting with a new client and you're doing your discovery and the next phase may be them coming back with a bunch of documents, right? Whether it be tax documents or, or yep. you know, account documents, et cetera, then you have to set up another meeting a week later, you know, whenever, and then they have to come back with those documents. And when you're doing it virtually, they're sitting at their desk the desk drawers right to their lower right, whatever, right, with their documents in it. And so you're, you're actually, in theory, conducting two meetings at once in a very efficient manner. I, I assume you've experienced that as well? Yes, um, it, it's mixed. Um, it's important to have an agenda and it's important to have clear follow-up steps. And you're right, when things work smoothly, we can avoid the second meeting. We say, hey, this is the follow-up. I'm going to be sending you documents via secure email, via FedEx. However, I need you to sign and return the signature pages to me. Um, we'll then let you know that everything is set up correctly for you. Okay. Um, and I think Shelly will get into this part when she talks as well. It's very important to have an assistant that's on top of it that can connect um, all the pieces that are working in the background. Shelly keeps you in line, right? That's what you're saying? Absolutely. <laughs> um, awesome. All right. So, Cynthia, I think you had something you wanted to say, and then yeah. I want to open it up to the, yeah. to the rest of you if, if you have any, sure. any follow-up thoughts before we get to the next question. Yeah, and not to belabor this, but I just wanted to, you know, kind of just really put a pin in it. Um, disruption, we have seen time and time and time again, you know, can equal opportunity. And, and this was a huge disruption. So I, I think that if we look across the board, um, people, not just our clients, but just people in general, they want to connect. I mean, we are a social being as human yep. beings. And so they're connecting with their families. They're connecting through um, just social interactions. I mean, you know, we've did some paint things online. We've done book clubs online. So they want to do it. And these are our clients. And so um, we've we've got to be open to it. If we're not open to it, then someone else will take that opportunity and run with it. Not just not just meeting with them or not just these webinars, but also 
you know, all the other efficiencies, all the other electronic um, efficiencies that we're seeing coming out of this, because it's just making, um, it's just making their life a lot more easier. And again, they're open to it because their family and their friends are teaching them how to do it. Yeah. I've, I've heard uh, anecdotally that there are some interesting, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but bear with me. There's some interesting relationship development dynamics that have come from remote meetings when you're working from home. Um, so, so some of the things I've heard, for example, is an advisor's on, on a call with a, with a client and, you know, the advisor's kids run into the room and jump, jump in his or her lap, right? And, and the, the client is enamored with it. They think it's cute. Oh, what's your kid's name and blah, blah. And so it, it gives you an opportunity to really develop the personal side of the relationship because you're so used to seeing each other in a very professional mode. And sometimes it's really nice seeing you know, that other side of a person and it deepens the relationship. Have, have any of you experienced uh, things like that? Yeah, Ross? I, I can definitely speak to that. I think my uh, two-year-old closed about as much business as I did during the crisis. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, we work in a business where, I mean, I'm not going to say there's a facade to it, but our clients are accustomed to the, the suits and the ties and the office and that, that kind of, you know, the agenda and the, you know, very focused um, you know, topics of conversation relative to, you know, their goals and then asset allocation. So it's kind of interesting when, you know, we're all experiencing this kind of um, crisis simultaneously, all sharing this kind of very human moment. And, you know, you're trying to have a conversation about, you know, is the client going to be okay? And obviously we all know what the market did uh, during this period and then trying to explain that to the client. And then all of a sudden the next thing you know, your two-year-old or your six-year-old or your dog is sitting in your lap, waving at the screen feverishly, um, you know, trying to figure out who you're talking to. Um, and I've learned in this crisis that I think my clients particularly um, having seen this side of, of my life were actually more concerned about my well-being and my family's well-being than at that point in time, their portfolio. Um, and when we're using things like financial planning and really um, taking the time to define their objectives and building the right systems to support the plan, they know the portfolio is going to be okay. They understand the investments they're in, why they're in them. They just want to know that the person that they've trusted to help them run this program perpetually is also going to be okay and, you know, and, and what's going on in their life as well. And it, it was kind of interesting to see that I mean, most of the beginning of most of my meetings started more about just, you know, how are you doing and what's going on as opposed to look, Hey, I saw my statement and I'm really freaking out here. Like we need to talk about it. So, yeah, yeah that's nice. So that, that, you know, they're, they're, it's a good silver lining. There are good relationship development opportunities that have, that have evolved from this. Uh, Kevin, you, you have uh, some thoughts on that as well. Yeah, on a, on a more global or bringing in some experiences that I've heard from other advisors across the country early on, we, uh, I went out there and, and tried to create uh, or bring in a lot of uh, coaching to advisors. We're in something different. And one of the impactful coaches talked to the advisors about that emotional connection before you really get into business, especially going through a period like this. And it's something that advisors have learned that, and I have learned in working with advisors, making that emotional connection before you go into what you really might have called about is really solidifying that relationship. And I think it was said best by one of our younger advisors who had never been through anything like this. Early on, he said, I'm realizing now that I am making relationships with my clients through this that will last a lifetime, seeing the positive of it. And I think carrying that forward, that approach is going to go a long way. It's something everyone's learned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard uh, recently a quote that uh, people have, um, 
kind of their in their emotional uh, response to meeting somebody. They have a foyer that they let you into first, and then a living room. Right, the foyer is their heart. You have to get past their heart first. They have they have to really understand that you are trusting and that you're someone that they can like, and then then they'll let you into their mind, which is where all the rest of the business that you'll do with them resides, right? So um, so to that, to that point. All right, so let me, um, Ross, I wanna get back to you, um, and then maybe uh, Jim Fujinaga with a uh, more specific question about some of these experiences that we're gaining, having to do with technology. So I, my guess is that there are technologies, in addition to Zoom, right, there are technologies that you're leveraging now that you didn't fully appreciate or fully leverage pre-crisis that may be very beneficial from an efficiency standpoint to leverage going forward. And again, these are you know, technologies that you might not really have appreciated, whether it be e-signature or whatever. Uh, Ross, did, you had some thoughts on that? So I've been using, uh, we use WebEx, so that's something that I've been using even prior to the crisis. It was kind of a mixed bag, honestly. I, I wish I could say that every single client, it was a breeze that we could get them through, uh, you know, into a WebEx and uh, sharing all their information seamlessly or e-signing, um, you know, documents with uh, 75 to 80-year-old clients that don't have smartphones. I, I've kind of learned a lot about it. Um, and some of the technologies that I relied on the, like, the most was actually things like just using the phone extensively, old school and, uh, you know, having the FedEx paperwork back and forth with clients um, and, and really kind of using different ways to integrate things like e-signature. And we talked about, uh, Scott was talking about Money Guy Pro. We have something called the Wealth Manager, which is an aggregation uh, integration into that software where clients can actually start portaling in accounts. So that was very important for some of my clients um, where we were doing pre-meetings, um, as Scott mentioned, setting an agenda, which is very important. Uh, to make the best use of the time and also talking about kind of folding meetings into each other would say, listen, look, go into the well, um, you know, the wealth manager program and let's upload the rest of your outside holdings that I, you know, that maybe I've known about or we've talked about and let's check on those as well. So using that technology, you know, kind of in tandem with WebEx has, has, has made this process very efficient, but I've also discovered, um, you know, I think some of our demographic doesn't trust the technology or just it cannot function with it. Uh, and, and so even e-sign being as efficient as it is and as easy as, as, as we think it is, you know, the client that doesn't have a smartphone, there's simply no way to do it. So I think having to kind of just adapt to every single scenario on a daily basis and try to figure out what is the thing that's going to make that client the most comfortable and, and just trying to evolve and use the pieces of technology that seem to make sense. Um, and, and I think that's definitely uh, my biggest takeaway is is trying to set the stage with clients saying, look, these are the different ways that we can do it. What are you comfortable with? And then as we go into that meeting saying, look, then we'll do this portion here. And then if we decide to do paperwork, it's going to go like X, Y, Z. Interesting. So your your discovery process has expanded now to the technology side of it to see what they're comfortable with, right? <laughs> well, it's amazing when people have nothing to do. Uh, well, not necessarily nothing to do, but they're at home and they have a bit more free time. You know, uh, when you ask them for their statements and it takes them two weeks to get it in the pre-COVID world, they're just like, well, hold on one second. Let me get out my book of passwords. And I'll go upload all that in five minutes. Right. <laughs> um, Jim, I know, I know you had some follow-on thoughts. And then, Kevin, I'd like to hear from a broker-dealer perspective because you track the use of technology, what you've seen as, uh, uh, you know, differentiations between where we are today and the use of technology and where we were pre-COVID. But, uh, Jim, let me let you go first. Sure. A couple um, of tools that we really didn't appreciate in our previous life that really helped us out today in our remote work environment. 
Uh, one of them is just laptops for everybody and ensuring that we had VPNs. And this is for everyone, whether you're a financial advisor, a, um, a sales assistant or an associate or a back office processor. We had laptops for everyone. And we also had VPN access. So as soon as this occurred and we had to work remotely, uh, we were 95% remote in our back office, in our home office. No issues, no significant problems. Everything ran smoothly. So we're really proud of that. The other area that really helped in the back office or home office was our phone system. We invested um, in 5.9 a telephone system uh, last year. Um, and we were able to have our call center all work remotely. And that was a key part. So we never had issues handling client calls, um, working remotely, uh, servicing customers, or doing any types of transactions. Those two areas really worked that we weren't sure, or we didn't realize the impact until we had to utilize that. I mean, we brought on a telephone system. The reasons we brought on 5.9 had nothing to do with working remotely. In fact, that was number five on the list of benefits. It was really about tracking and recording and and assisting customers and ensuring the client experience was superior. Now we find out that this was a big part of it. So it really helped us from a back office perspective. Uh, in the front office, I think Ross explained it well. Uh, we're gonna continue to invest in, uh, in technology. In fact, if anything, this has accelerated our desire to bring on some of the areas that we're lacking. You know, we're lacking in text messaging. That's a priority now. We're going to get that done in, thir in third quarter. In terms of monitoring from a compliance perspective, text messaging like we do or emails and archiving ser services. Um, other technology areas such as, um, you know, e-signatures for everything. You know, we don't have it for everything today. We have to get there. And that's certainly an area that we're going to get done this year. That's become accelerated in, in my view in terms of, of a 2021 or 2022 project to a, a now type of thing. We have to have that today. So Jim, let me, uh, let me dig into one thing you said. Uh, you mentioned your phone system and uh, your phone system is a, a, a voice over internet protocol, a VoIP phone system, right? And so yes. that technology is what enabled you to flip the switch very quickly to, to remote. Um, so I'll speak for myself, and I think a lot of the people that may be listening to this podcast who are not necessarily technologists to that degree, what about voice over IP allows you to flip the switch that quickly at, when compared to a normal phone system? Now, if that's over your pay grade, let me know, but I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, we had an old-fashioned uh, phone system, Scott. It was terrible. Uh, it was just a regular old phone line hardwire that everyone had. And so, you know, you had your headsets and you had to take all the phone calls right here in the office, in the cubicles. Yep. And, and other than that, I can't explain the uh, intricacies behind all the technology requirements that, that are required to do a VOIP, but it works and it works really well. And uh, that along with VPN allowed everyone to work remotely. Yeah. So my, so my guess, and, and if any of you know the answer to this, uh, you can chime in. But my guess is voice over internet protocol lets you very quickly assign a phone number to a person so the calls automatically get forwarded to that person, right? It could get forwarded to their cell or what, what have you, and even get forwarded to their computer if that's the way they want it. So it's, it's pretty easy to redirect calls, 
which is which is interesting because there are a lot of uh, investment services programs I believe that are still on old phone systems. And um, now that working remotely is going to be embraced more and more, they may have to make the switch too. So that, that may be one of the technologies that gets a boost from uh, the fact that we've had to, in an emergency situation, go from working in our offices to working remotely. Um, anyway, Kevin, let me, let me pass it over to you uh, as you have a kind of a broad view across the spectrum of your programs on what's going on with technology usage. Sure. I appreciate that. And uh, like Jim, uh, it amazed me how quickly we could get everyone in the home office at home and run the business uh, uh, from everyone's kitchen counters and uh, patio chairs. It, it, uh, we only have four individuals at the home office handling some mail and so forth. And that happened quickly within two weeks. A lot of, you know, phone systems are, are key. Uh, and, and one of the things we're constantly doing there is tracking because of the system. Now we can track the service levels, main, maintain uh, our service levels of picking up phones and move people uh, as we have to, uh, to pick up where uh, uh, extra calls are coming in. But on the advisor side, work with the clients, um, one of the things that we've rolled out all these technology efficiencies and we talk about is the will or the skill to actually implement them. And one of the upsides of what we just gone through is it's forced the will and the skill to adopt. Uh, and we have seen a tremendous increase that will not, I do not think will go backwards, uh, coming out of this, uh, for example, on uh, remote deposits, we're, we're seeing up to over 90, 95% now of our deposits going in remotely. Um, and then on the e-signature side, where we had rolled that out some time ago, uh, uh, beyond the adoption of it, uh, the will to learn and incorporate wasn't where it, uh, we wanted it. And now uh, we peaked at 49% of our overall uh, applications are being done e-signature. On the brokerage side, uh, 65 to 70% uh, are being uh, consummated that way. So that's huge. Uh, and lastly, you talk about, Jim, on the texting side, uh, we've rolled that out a, a bit ago, and we've seen a large uh, increase on the usage of the texting and, and uh, easy way to touch uh, your clients out there in a quick, efficient manner. Nice. And, and let me, um, Stephanie and Shelly, we haven't heard from you yet. And I know there, there are some thoughts that you're going to contribute later on. But let me just throw this out there to you guys. So as you hear this discussion about the technology being used now that we're working remotely and how it may be something that you carry forward into the, the new reality once we're past COVID, do either of you, um, have either of you experienced uh, anything similar regarding the, your usage of technology and how you know, there's been kind of aha moments. This is this really does work better than the way I used to do it. Stephanie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was not a first adapter. Um, I didn't know if I had the skill. So um, it was kind of jumping into a hot frying pan. And it has been, um, A, I've realized that I do have the skill and I can implement those types of things. And I can walk my clients through it. Um, and, and B, that it does it's so much more efficient. So I want to encourage everyone out there who's a little hesitant, um, either from their own skill level or, you know, helping clients through the process to give it a shot because it really is a lot easier than you think. 
Yeah, no, good for you. Good for jumping into that hot fi- frying pan. It's not as hot as you thought it, it is. Huh? No, no, it was great. <laughs> yeah, great. And and Shelly, you're you are uh, the one associate advisor in this discussion, and uh, and much appreciated that you're that you're joining us. So just give us a feel for has your role changed in any significant ways since we're working remotely, and what what efficiencies have you experienced that you didn't expect? So when I first was thinking of the question, I was like, um, you know, really not much has changed. We're still doing the same things that we were doing. Um, When I thought about it, it's um, the way we do it that has changed. So um, the first thing I noticed that was changing is when we're scheduling meetings, we're no longer scheduling in-person meetings, we're scheduling Zoom meetings. And so that requires a little extra care with our client as far as Um, setting it up for success. So we want a successful meeting. We want them to feel like they've had a successful meeting. Um, And one way we did that is just upfront explaining how it's going to go. So, you know, as I'm scheduling appointments, I'm saying I'll be sending you an email, there'll be a link in there. Um, You'll click on at the time of your meeting, Scott will admit you to the meeting, you'll be able to see him, he'll be able to see you, you'll be able to hear each other. At some point, he'll share his screen so that, um, you know, you can go over things in detail. Um, And also, I suggest to them just a little bit before the meeting, if they can get in front of their space where they're going to be, if they can sit at their computer, open their camera, kind of make sure that they're in a position where they're comfortable that there are no distractions. Um, again, that just helps set them up for success and us as well. So that was the first thing. Another thing I noticed is there's changes with the follow-up. So Ross mentioned that, um, you know, people are at home and they're doing things quickly. And what we've noticed on the other hand is sometimes they're at home and they're setting things over to the side. It's going on the mail pile. You know, they're not, they're going to get lunch, walk their dog, something else. So they're maybe not getting it to it right away. So there's more follow-up, just guiding the process and making sure that things go smoothly. The last thing I'll mention is that I noticed changing is like a rollover request process. So clients are no longer in the office with us where we can just make that call together with them. So again, setting them up for success and doing it by conference call, letting them know kind of what that's going to look like. I'll call the third-party company first. Uh, that way, they are not holding because all these companies have very long hold times right now, it seems like. So first calling the third party, then conferencing in the client, and doing the transaction from there. So seems like that's just a better overall experience for a client. Well, thanks, Shelly. And so you brought up virtual meetings again, right? So this seems sure. to be a, a common uh, area of discussion here. So let me let me throw out a question to the advisors on the call. So Stephanie Scott and Ross, um, relative to virtual meetings. So put yourself in the mindset of uh, we're back to normal again. So it's a year from now. Let's hope that we're back to normal uh, a year from now. What do you think realistically, based on your current experience, the mix between the ratio between virtual meetings and live meetings will be? Right. And is that different than what it was pre-crisis? Scott, you want to kick us off? So when I mentioned earlier, an efficiency that will carry forward is using Zoom for client review meetings. Um, I meant that these are clients that we know and we've already established um, a relationship with. 
Um, establishing a relationship with a new client um, is a matter of building trust, as was mentioned. And each divider that you put in front of that trust, whether it's a Zoom screen or it's a plexiglass screen or it's a mask, you know, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it, it's a step away from doing business. And so for new client meetings, um, we stand to do better in person if we can do that, I believe. And so I'm going to continue that practice going forward. For client review meetings where that trust is already established, the virtual meetings are an excellent option. Okay. Uh, what, what about uh, Ross or Stephanie? What are your thoughts in that regard? Stephanie? I agree uh, with Scott. You know, I, I think review appointments, I have clients that come in every quarter um, and they, you know, I put an hour on my schedule for them and maybe 20 minutes of that is review and the other 40 minutes. And, and I even have some that will check their watch, you know, because they want that full hour. You know, they want to <laughs> tell me about their grandkids. and are not going to rip me kids. off. I want that full hour. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think uh, it, it gave me the advantage to say this is how we're going to do it going forward. And review appointments with clients like that, I, I think I, I've learned working from home now with doing it on the phone that I can do it in 20 or 30 minutes. It doesn't take a whole hour. And so the efficiency that that's going to bring to my practice, I think, is huge. Great. Ross? Yeah, I agree with both of them. They have great points. I, I think the virtual meetings for reviews with or, or doing tasks or, or more pedestrian tasks with existing clients is extremely functional because it allows you to create a very neat organized process and get through it rather quickly. And uh, to Shelly's point, setting the expectations with the client about the technology makes it go a lot smoother and a lot faster. Um, but there is, to, to Scott's point, there is nothing like the physical presence of being in a room for the first time with a new client and really forming that bond, you know, looking directly across the table at somebody. And what we've seen in, in, in my market here in Louisiana um, is that as these um, restrictions are being lifted, people are very, very, very willing to come in um, for in-person meetings because they just kind of miss the human part of it. Um, so I, I think going forward um, for time management and kind of being in two places at once, doing the um, you know virtual meetings for things like reviews is, is it's perfect. And particularly once you get the hang of it and you're able to prep your clients on it. But to Scott's point, I mean, there's nothing like the real thing. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So did any of the three of you do virtual meetings pre-COVID? Not much. Yeah, so that would be a no, right? So, um, yeah. all right. So that's interesting. So, so post COVID, would you say thirty percent of your meetings, roughly, maybe, maybe virtual, or more? Yeah. I like more. Yeah, I like it. Even a fifty-fifty would be again, you know, based on what if there's paperwork that needs to be done, uh, new client meetings, things like that. But I think I could get to half. Yeah. I, you know what? Um, why not, right? If, if you assess the nature of most of your meetings and assess what percentage of them are, I think Russell used the term pedestrian, right? Where you're just getting basic stuff done. It's not necessarily relationship building. There's no reason not to do those virtually and just leave the more important, the ones that you really need that face-to-face -face dynamic for, leave, leave those to the live meeting category. Um, so I think our world, when I say our world, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the advisor's world will change um, fairly significantly based on this experience and, and, and probably for the better. All right, so I'm going I'm to shift over to the managers in this discussion. 
My assumption is that not all of your advisors have embraced this virtual world as well as Stephanie Scott and Ross have, right? And Shelly as well, right? So you've had to push some of them into it perhaps or give them guidance. So this is a two-part question. So one, what type of guidance have you been able to provide to encourage the ones that were really hesitant to dive in? And then two, have you thought about or have you even started providing guidance to your advisors relative to when we get back to normal, here are the things that you should consider continuing to do. Have any of you done either of those in a significant way yet? Well, we, Scott, we, um, we've always had discussions about technology. CFS has done a great job of providing the tools over the last several years that kind of chip away at being able to do business this way. And, Scott and Shelley and I have a have a teammate that lives out of the country, and you know he's he's kind of always been an early adopter for, of technology, even before he lived in New Zealand. So, you know, when we have our monthly group meetings, we always talk about this. It always comes up about more efficient ways of doing business, even if you are face to face with your your clients and prospects. There are you know technology is always. Uh, been there that can even do that face-to-face process a little bit more efficiently. And so, you know, we've benefited from his expertise over the years. And and now that he is officially out of the country, but still on our team, every month we, you know, we, we WebEx him in, he talks about doing different things remotely. You know, in the last couple of months, you know, as far as people embracing it, certainly we've had, you know, like any team of 15 people, you've got people that are very technology savvy and you've got people who would rather not deal with it. And, you know, it's kind of been sink or swim now, you know, they've jumped in the pool holding a cinder block. And if you're not going to embrace it, you know, you're not going to be around real long in, in the next year. So, um, you know, we've got revenue numbers to hit. We've got clients who want to see us. We've got, you know, on and on and on. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Elevations was rolling Zoom out for a lot of our internal meetings, client meetings, vendor meetings, all those sorts of things prior to this even happening. So we were starting to embrace that. And, you know, Zoom has been much easier to use than WebEx ever was for our clients. And and so we're fortunate that that, that that we were able to get that out there and do it the right way and, and securely. And, you know, so, so that's been easy to adopt. Uh, we had the technology that we needed to do it. You know, we, we talk a lot about it and, you know, I think everybody's prepared to continue to embrace it and, you know, moving forward, have it a much bigger part of their business. John, New Zealand is significantly out of the country, (laughs) like on the other side of the world out of the country. Um, So that's a really interesting case study. So so here's an advisor that was living in Colorado and then moved to New Zealand. Is that the case? Yeah. yeah. And um, took all of his clients with him? Has, has there been client uh, mitigation due to the move? And well, he had, a, he had a junior advisor working with him when he came up with this harebrained idea. And, uh, <laughs> and so we moved her into a full advisor when, when he did make this happen. And he took probably 60% of his clients. He, he had spent years preparing them for this. You know, he came to me a few years before this happened and told me what his goal was and 
you know, I thought he was just another crazy millennial that, you know, I own a couple of as well at home. And well, we're uh, all jealous of him. He's living in New Zealand. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, you wouldn't believe it. But, um, you know, he made it happen and uh, they were able to figure it out. A couple of very young kids and his wife and, you know, just got a beautiful situation over there. 60% of his clients he continues to work with, gets referrals from them. You know, the majority of them are, are fee-based clients and, uh, you know, does all of his reviews. He comes back a few times a year to do some face-to-face things. He's got an assistant that sits right here by me that works kind of on the ground. Uh, the advisor that took over his branch um, kind of works uh, some of the things for him is there as well and took on the clients that uh, weren't comfortable working remotely, wanted someone they could sit down with face-to-face. He's unable to do insurance business now because of the, the out-of-the-country complications. So she took on all of his annuity work and life insurance work and things like that. So that's the one um, restriction that he has. But otherwise, his revenue has continued to grow. Um, his clients are growing. I've had zero clients come to me and tell me that they're not happy with, you know, how this is working. It opens up a whole new uh, level of, uh, of advisor relationship. So, you know, he's, he's been very beneficial to the team prior to this whole thing going down uh, to help us with it. Yeah, so there's a, there's a real endorsement for um, being able to work remotely and not only maintain, but, but grow your business. So, uh, John, let me ask you a, a quick follow-up question, and then, Cynthia, I want to hand it over to you. If I recall correctly, based on your experiences, not only with your uh, advisor that moved to New Zealand, but also the effectiveness of working remotely during this crisis, um, you you may consider growing your remote advisor sales force uh, going forward. Is that the case? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know that opens up a whole uh, new opportunity for someone that is either full remote or uh, you know a good part remote, and maybe some local folks. I can now recruit great advisors like Ross over in Louisiana to come join my team. Right? Uh-oh, Jim, you better, you better watch them. <laughs> um, I have John's you know, home phone number, so, you know. Yeah, you're, really, you're really not limited geographically any, any longer, you know, obviously. So, um, you know, it, it, it certainly uh, opens up a whole new um, set of opportunities outside of just a second floor advisor that, moves upstairs and out of the branch, you know, there's a whole nother dynamic here that, that we can work with. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Interesting. Cynthia. So um, for us, it wasn't so rosy of a transition and really the onus, you know, on us, it's just, it just wasn't, we were thrusted out. We, we were not prepared um, for advisors to, to be remote. Um, we had to quickly get there. And, and so I'm sharing this because I want others that, that's listening to this podcast to kind of hear that and how we're making it through, which we still are making it through and we're doing great. You know, I like what, what I think as Shelly had said, you know, she was prepping the clients and getting them prepared um, to be as successful as they can when they were going to be interacting with Scott, you know, for the Zoom meetings. Um, you know, pick on Stephanie because she's here with us right now. You know, she converted and start doing her team meetings, which were in, you know, she was doing them in person, but she started doing her team meetings using Zoom 
because she wanted to make sure that her, her um, staff was comfortable with that part of the technology. Um, and I know that she's tasked other people on her team too um, to kind of be the leaders um, in certain other areas. You know, go figure this part out. You know, you're going to be, instead of all of us on the team, um, working towards this end result, whether it's getting us access to VPN or getting us access to um, a virtual meeting or whatever it may be, you know, she may have somebody on her team. And I started to see that. Even my conversations with the advisors across the board, they were um, a lot of um, not necessarily group meetings, but one-on-one um, -on -one, um, holding their hands, walking them through the process because each person had a different situation. I'm not going to call it an issue, but just kind of a different bug, different you know, some, some obstacles that we needed to like kind of really get in the trenches. And that's what I kept saying. I think I used the, the word trenches a thousand times during this process, get in the trenches with them, really hear what their situation was. Don't gloss over it um, and try to get a resolution for the situation. Um, again, with these efficiencies and with the technology. So um, there was a lot, a lot of that going on and we're still in the process. I, I heard someone on the call that was saying that, you know, every one of their folks had um, computers. We, we didn't. You know, we barely even have phones. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm being serious. You, you know, <laughs> you had cans with strings attached to them. Pretty much. <laughs> well, I don't know if the strings were attached. That's giving us credit. <laughs> but the point is, is that we did not give up. You know, we have a resilient team, um, good operational support, great advisors. You know. And, and we just didn't give up. You know, we were, we were in the ocean. We had to swim. So um, and, and if anybody's struggling with the technology, technology part right now and the efficiencies, I just say continue, continue, continue to work through it. You know, we'll get there. Yeah, be persistent. So, so Jim Campone, you, you wanted to, to contribute. I know Jim Fujinaga, you, you do as well. But Jim Campone, why don't we let you go first? Thank you, Scott. Uh, you know, just to work off of Cynthia's uh, comment, we have an opportunity to speak with a lot of program managers as well as advisors right around the country. And, you know, as they're adapting to, um, you know, changing their patterns to behavior, uh, I think the biggest guidance that, you know, I've tried to put out there is at the advisor level, it's also a matter of kind of changing your own expectations, right? When you're used to doing X and the result is always Y, we're in a totally different world today. And sometimes it's going to take, a, B, C, and X to get the same result that you were getting previously. And sometimes just by taking that step back and realizing that it is, it's not the same as business as usual as it was before, but there's still more opportunity. We talked to advisors who you know, previously may have had four meetings over the course of the day and that included you know, one or two of those as phone calls are now doing eight. So their, right, their productivity in terms of the customer interactions have gone up considerably, but they didn't see the immediate results. But through persistency now, where we have advisors doing 12 meetings in a day or 10 in a day, they never could have had the capacity to do that before. So a little bit painful, right? And Cynthia, to your point, right, you have to persevere to get there. But I think, you know, the advisors changing expectations a little bit to say, this is an investment into the future and it's investment in my practice. It'll pay off in the long term. It'll certainly have dividends. And uh, it's just been interesting feedback. Some of the advice, like, I, I didn't think of it that way. Right? I just figured if I did this thing, it was going to be exactly the same. And just kind of adapting to, well, I have more time. And I can utilize the efficiencies that are available to me. And now, okay, it's a little bit more today. 
but it's going to be better off down the road. So I think that's a big part of it, right? We, we get in our own comfort zone, and this is a chance for us to uh, maybe get a little bit uncomfortable for a short period of time, but long-term benefits will be there. Yeah, no, w- well said. And so it, you know, it occurs to me that there are two types of people, right, um, as it relates to the way they respond to situations, right? They either embrace it, embrace the change, and go for it, right? Do their best in the change situation or resist it and continue to resist it and get ulcers because of it, right? Um, so what, what it seems anecdotally is going on, given the uniqueness of this situation and, and, and the scenario that we're all forced to work in, is that those are embracing it, are almost going through it with like, they're fist pumping. They're like, yeah, you know what? This is working. This is pretty cool. My business is still doing okay. And I see the long-term benefits and I'm actually finding new ways to interact with clients and develop client relationships. And I, I commend those of you on this call because I know that e- e- even though there may have been difficulties initially, you're all embracing it now. And not only are you moving forward, but you're also considering ways in which you're leveraging the experiences you've gained to improve your business. So, you know, so good for you guys. I, th- I think that's awesome. Yeah, um, if I could add, Scott, I would yeah. just say, you know, it's it, a change in perspective, right? And I think it's right. so important to celebrate those small victories, right? Things that the challenges we didn't have before, we have to celebrate the victories we're having and overcoming those, right? Because they will get us to that greater accomplishment down the road. Yeah, I agree. So let's have a Zoom cocktail hour when we're done with this. <laughs> All right, uh, Jim, Jim Fujinaga, you had some thoughts too. Yeah, um, well, in, my, in our view here, it's, it starts with, you know, leaders uh, leading by example. And so when we started the Zoom calls during the uh, first phase of the work at home, a remote workplace, we had daily calls with the executive management team providing updates, what's working, what's not working, what we could do to help people, as you said, embrace the change and thrive in chaos. And that's what we were trying to accomplish there. But we had management teams, we had training sessions, we had conferences internally, everything by WebEx. We still use WebEx and the video from uh, WebEx as our tool to communicate. So it became a way of, of communication with our advisors We also did some training. We had our financial planning division, our centralized financial planning division, reach out to uh, advisors in the field and help them provide financial plans via virtual experience. And quite frankly, what we found is that it's kind of natural to do uh, planning through video. It's, it's, uh, It's a way to showcase visually charts, graphs. You find that your clients are very receptive and sometimes provide more attention than they did previously when they're sitting in front of you. So we did a lot of planning. We did a lot of training. We helped our advisors overcome some of the fears. We also provided some uh, training in terms of, um, you know, industry speakers on those topics, like we just talked about. We had Victory Row. We had Dr. Elko. We had several other people that uh, everyone has heard of do web conferences. So to help provide some sort of roadmap for individuals and also to let people know that you're not in this alone. You know, we're all in it together. And it's interesting because to your point, Scott, when you said there's two types of advisors, it's true. You know, good advisors will always adapt 
and they will always find ways to do business. And that's why you see productivity among all the advisors on this uh, video conference where it was before, because it's amazing. They find ways to do it. And, you know, as a management team, we're just here to help break down the obstacles and hopefully be able to smooth out that process. And here in Louisiana, we're in five states, right? Texas uh, to Florida, and people are resilient here. It's unbelievable how resilient people are. And, and this is a new area for me. I've only moved here four years ago, but it's amazing that they have that type of good nature and the openness to continue to do business and figure out a way to adapt. And that's really helped us overcome this. And so we're starting to see business not quite to normal, but getting closer to it. Good, good for you guys. Um, hey, Kevin, you have some thoughts too. Yeah, I think down to that uh, level of learning through it all, uh, you know, from the broker-dealer perspective, we've always prided ourselves in trying to be nimble when things happen, but at the same token, uh, take input from our users of the system, the users that we're servicing. And uh, we just completed a survey last week of advisors and just compiling the results of it. As much as we're here talking about uh, with a group of advisors who have adapted, that survey has indicated to us there's still a large group out there that uh, are sitting on their hands. They're still waiting to adapt. And so it's understanding what we need to do to help bring them along, both from the management side of it, uh, the coaching side of it, the support side of it. Uh, it. It's a constant evolution to bring everybody on board because as we're hearing from this group, the efficiencies that we're learning through what we're going through are going to be here going forward. So we've been through a lot in 35 years I have, but this is definitely uh, a new experience. Yeah. So, so do you have a feel for what percentage of advisors are still resistant or still waiting for this to pass? You know, I would uh, reach out here to maybe uh, some of these uh, individuals like Cynthia and Jim and John who have a larger group. My gut feeling, or Jim Campone might have some input here, my gut feeling is still a 50-50 mix. Really? Uh, there are still a, a lot of advisors who are sitting there, I just can't wait to get back into the branch to, to back to normal. Well, reality is, uh, as you get back into the branch, there's still a 50-50 split when I'm talking socially of people who are ready to go into that branch That's versus right. those who have a lot of fear uh, of getting out of their house. Interesting. So Jim Campone, let me throw a question out to you. Uh, I believe you've had a couple of discussions with advisors who have already gotten back into the branches. Uh, however, uh, the environment is very different now in the branches when compared to what it was like before they left the branches. I don't know how many people are thinking about that, but why don't you share some of your insights on that? Yeah, thank you, Scott. You know, it's fascinating. Um, we certainly have an opportunity to talk to a number of advisors across the country. And a recent conversation that I found very interesting was an advisor who said he's back in the branches meeting with, with clients and his preference is he'd rather be doing virtual meetings. And when I asked him as to why, he said, I come into the branch, I'm sitting behind a piece of plexiglass, I'm wearing a mask, my client's wearing a mask, and we're six feet apart. 
He said it's very challenging for him to conduct a meeting that way. It's very challenging for him to begin to establish trust and credibility. It's difficult to read that member's response or that prospect's response. So he felt like given the circumstances, he would rather be doing his meetings remotely rather than actually coming in you know, face to face. And it certainly poses the question, as many advisors are expecting to go back into the branches as they had prior to the COVID outbreak, right? are they going back to an environment that has changed dramatically from what they remember before? And are they prepared to operate in that environment? So I think it's a fascinating question and, and certainly something to think about moving forward. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think you're right. I don't think many people are thinking about that, but what's, uh, what's interesting, if you're an advisor and you consider that scenario, right? If you're not back in the branch yet and you're, you consider that scenario, maybe you should plan for a transition. And, and, and the transition should be something like, um, once you do get back into the branch, if you're faced with plexiglass and masks and distancing and everything else, uh, it's very possible you might want to call your clients and say, listen, I am back in the branch, but this is what the situation is like. And it's really not, from a personalization standpoint, it's just not helping. And we might be better off just doing virtual meetings for now, even though I'm back in the branch. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see you in person, but why don't I let you know when the branch is more back to normal again so we don't have to sit here behind plexiglass wearing a mask. I would agree, you know, and it's just, yeah, something people haven't thought about. And it's an advisor's opportunity, right, to have that conversation with that individual and let them know what that environment would look like and give them the opportunity to maybe have a pre-meeting with them, right, to get to know me, right, get to see my face, get to see my expressions. So um, certainly something that people should be thinking about moving forward. Yeah. And, and obviously you would handle it differently, perhaps if it was a prospect versus an existing client, right? So just another layer to think about in that regard. No doubt. You, you have to wonder to a degree if this is going to end up being a weeding out process. And I, and I say that, and I'm not trying mm -hmm. to, you know, I'm not trying to be a, a hard nose, but the advisors that are resistant to a significant degree maybe shouldn't be in this business in the first place. So this almost adds to uh, some of the weeding out that's inevitable because our industry is changing, right? The, the way in which you do business as an advisor has to change from the way you did business 10, even five years ago. And if you're resistant to change, you're going to find yourself obsolete before too long, right? I mean, we, as advisors, we were all very transactional, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. And, and there's no need to put a human in the middle of a transaction anymore. The human adds no value to a transaction, right? So where is the value that you're adding as an advisor? So the answer to that question dictates change and significant change. And so if you're resistant to change, you're probably not going to make it forward one way or the other. Um, so, I mean, that may be a little bit harsh, but like I said, to a degree, this could be part of the weeding out process that yields a, um, a more e efficient and adaptive team of advisors going forward. I, I don't know. Any, any thoughts in that regard? And I'll, we're, we're going to wrap it up. So I have two more questions after that. But so any, any thoughts about what I just said? You know, I agree with you, Scott. Um, just like 2008, 2009 had a weeding out process, this is going to do the same thing. Yeah. And we're going to see this different um, change in the way people do business. Now, 
we already know that there's a war for talent. There's fewer advisors out there. There's going to be even fewer, which means client segmentation is so critical in how we deliver business and make sure the client experience is there for our customers because it will become smaller, more specialized, and, and everything in the industry is going to change because of that. Totally agree with you, Jim. I think those are very good comments. All right. So let me ask you two more quick questions and then we're going to wrap it up. So the first question is financial planning has been mentioned several times during this discussion. And I'm wondering if those clients with which you've done significant financial planning and or those clients that are maybe more advisory oriented clients, if they're experience through these turbulent markets and their reaction to the turbulent markets have been different than the the balance of your clients who maybe you haven't gone through a planning process with or are less advisory oriented. Have you noticed differences in one set of clients versus the other, Scott? Oh, absolutely. Um, As you mentioned, transactions versus relationship oriented our, our industry is changing. It used to be you pick stocks, that's now commoditized away. Then you pick an allocation, that's commoditized away. Right. Now we do financial planning. I think it's going to go even further towards life planning where it's really, it's not about the money anymore. It's really about the client and what's truly important to them. And so financial planning is really a rudder during this process. Um, yes, the markets are down. Yes, we've got a global pandemic, but it's not really about that. Um, We can talk about those things. We don't know much about them. We don't know where they're going to go. If we turn it into a planning process and we start, we lead with empathy and financial planning, um, it's a winner. You know, how are you? How is your family? Are you well? Are you working? What's changed? Let's see if you're on track. It gives a peace of mind through this process. And so the clients that we do financial plans with that are based on advisory um, are the clients that we want. I mean, that's the book. And so those are the ones that we take with us through this process. Those are the ones that value our advice. Uh, I think that may be one of the most insightful things said in this conversation. And not, not disparaging the rest of you, but I, I think that really sums it up. I mean, that's a real lesson learned from going forward. And it certainly didn't take this crisis to learn that lesson, but it's making it more acute. So uh, I, I, I completely agree with you. And if you look at trending in the industry and compare successful advisors to those that are struggling, that's exactly one of the differentiators you see, the, the stuff that you just mentioned. So, uh, so, good, so good for you. Stephanie? I just wanted to add, you know, I've been through several of these. I've been doing this a long time. So 97, 2000, 2001, 2008, you know, numerous crises that affects clients' financial portfolios. And this time it did feel a lot a lot different for me. I adapted using more advisory products in like 2009. Um, and so this was really the first big turn in the market where m- talking to those clients, it's not about, as Scott was saying, what's happening today. It's are they still on plan? Is their plan still going to work? And um, I think that's been imperative in my business uh, through this this crisis. Yeah, no, that's that's great and good, good to hear. So, so let me let me ask a final question, and it's really to those of you who um, are using a, a third party broker dealer or using CFS. You know, in my mind, a a good broker dealer is a true partner, right? You're not you're not in it alone. You have a partner that's really providing uh, very significant support. 
um, and, and value, right? So, so as you look at your experience going through this crisis, what have been the most important things that your broker dealer, in this case, CFS, has provided to you guys to help you get through this situation and, will con- and which will perhaps continue to provide value once we're on the other side of the situation? Cynthia? I'll, I'll jump in here first. Um, it's interesting because we were all together um, with the broker dealer at, at a top producers conference <laughs> or vacation, I should say, when this <laughs> started to break loose on the, on the beach, literally on the beach. And the conversation started there. You know, we, we had um, some seminars we were coming back to and getting input, which we do moving forward. You know, it's like, it's kind of like break, go. You know, we all ran to our um, four corners um, in the U.S. To, to deal with this, but we were not alone. I know that's the same, but we really weren't alone. Um, CFS for us stepped up big time. They were able to get their team um, remote quickly, and then, and then they were responsive to us, to the field. And not only that, but then they helped us, our, you know, they helped the field by posting information about, you know, how to, what is the best um, steps, you know, best practices, I should say, for, for working remotely. Um, you know, what are some things that you need to consider if you haven't considered it? So, and, and put that information out there for everybody. That was very helpful. And also, too, um, the multitude of webinars, the economic updates. It felt like they were daily, uh, you know, <laughs> but um, there, was just a, there was just a lot of choices, you know, that we had, not only for the financial advisors and for the program managers to attend, but also, too, you know, we wanted to start to engage clients and uh, mainly clients at that time because there was just so much going on. So um, a lot of good print material as well that they provided. So again, it was just a lot of resources that we had at our fingertips very quickly. Nice. Any additional thoughts? I think, you know, I think, as I mentioned earlier, CFS has done a good job over the last several years of, of rolling out piece by piece different technology enhancements that, um, you know, whether you're face-to-face or across the world, you know, make business more efficient to process or, you know, do, do all those sorts of things. And they've done a good job of knowing that that has to happen. We weren't particularly blindsided and lacking any uh, real technology on the broker-dealer side when all this came down, luckily. I know not everyone was in that uh, fortunate of a, of a situation with the broker dealer. And, and so that's certainly a testament to, you know, good vision on their side and, and staying on top of the world as it's changing and the technology that's changing. And we certainly didn't embrace all of it as it was rolled out. You know, some things we didn't really see a need for in, until you did. And then when you did, it was there. But, um, you know, it, it, the, the good thing is that, that they were rolled out, they were enhanced, they were, you know, they were perfected and, and available when the need came about. Well, we're going to wrap it up. And let me thank you all for participating in this discussion. Your feedback has been very valuable and, and interesting. And uh, as I mentioned, this is the first podcast in what will be a series of podcasts. So uh, congratulations to all of you for being on the first podcast. And we hope that you all come back and join us for a, uh, a follow-up podcast in the future. But I, I'd also like to thank QSO Financial Services as our co-host for this podcast. So thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Jim. 
I think that uh, this discussion has been very interesting and I wish you guys a ton of success going forward. Stay healthy, stay happy, and let's talk again soon. Thank you all. Hi, Bob Mattel again. Scott and I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series. We hope you found the discussion valuable. Please subscribe to our podcasts and be sure to join us for future episodes on subjects like creating differentiation in a commoditized industry, enhancing the discovery process, being a trusted advisor, book optimization, and much more. Also, stay tuned for the launch of our second podcast series called Untangling FinTech, aimed at increasing your familiarization with the financial services technology stack and helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Scott, any final words? Yes, thanks, Bob. I'd like to personally thank the people I've been working with at QSO Financial Sorrento Pacific that are so committed to improving our channel's competitiveness. These include Tammy Kane, Kevin Mumau, Jim Campone, and Valerie Seifer. I've been working with them on this podcast behind the scenes, and they are fantastic people to work with. I sincerely value the relationships I have with them and appreciate their support. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next podcast. And lastly, for compliance reasons, we need to close with this somewhat ironic compliance statement. This is for internal use only and not for public distribution.